You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. What's up, Band Geeks? This is Richie, and today I'm flying solo. This is Band Geek episode 101, which is appropriate because this is like Band Geek 101. I'm going to do some tech talk and behind-the-scenes talk and let you guys know what we had to do to bring you episode 100 with all the videos and audio and all that stuff. So we're going to dive into that. So this is going to be cool. We're having a big blizzard here in New York right now, so it's makes it easier if I do this one as a solo episode. So I know you might miss the other the other band geeks, but you got me today, and I'll try my best to entertain you. Uh, before we get started, let's take care of some business. Um, if you follow the Band Geek YouTube page, you'll see that I posted a little notice about switching homes. So here's the deal with that. All the Band Geek videos up until episode 100 were on youtube.com slash bandgeekpodcast. I'm moving them back to my page, which is youtube.com slash richiecastellano. Okay, quick story about that and everything involved. The first Band Geek episode, uh, two or three years ago, uh, we did our very first video was The Logical Song by Supertramp. And we did the video for it, and I posted it to my YouTube page and immediately got a copyright violation notice and... In, and uh, I noticed that my YouTube page was put on probation. So that sucked because I was starting to pick up some some steam on my YouTube page, and now I just jeopardized it by putting this song up. So I freaked out, and I made the Band Geek podcast YouTube, which I really didn't care about because, you know, I didn't have any followers on there or any views on there. So I just dumped all the Band Geek stuff on there uh, j- just because I didn't want to get the copyright violations because I knew I'd be doing cover song after cover song. So I did that. Um, now what happened since then, now that I've started building that channel up and that channel has like, you know, a hundred or so videos on there and that's great. And I got a few thousand followers. That's awesome on that channel. Uh, recently I had, I was fortunate enough to, uh, get a consultation session from a YouTube employee. It's a, they're doing like this outreach program for YouTube creators and trying to help them optimize their channels and get the most out of what they're doing and and just work more efficiently. So I told this YouTube consultant that I have two channels and I told them the whole story and she told me that I'm kind of working against myself right now by having two channels because I'm splitting my views, I'm splitting my followers and it's no good. So um, based on her suggestion, I will be keeping the Band Geek podcast channel as uh, an archive. So I'm not going to be deleting any of those videos. Those will all stay there. You can watch those. But from here on out, all the Band Geek stuff will be posted to my channel, youtube.com slash Richie Castellano. Um, and in terms of the copyright violations and probation, they don't do that anymore. I asked this woman about all that stuff and with cover tunes and she said that YouTube sort of got their shit together uh, and what they're doing now is instead of issuing viol- if you if you here's a uh, here's a difference between how YouTube used to be and how it is now when I put the Bohemian Rhapsody video up on my YouTube channel I got nothing for it I couldn't put ads on it it was just here's my cover since then YouTube then started if 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 a publisher of a song didn't want you to be on YouTube they would just pull you off and put you on probation put you on probation that sucked now what they do is if a publisher claims that you're using one of their songs as a cover right not just reprinting it as a cover what they'll do is they'll put an ad on your video and they take they'll split the publishing with you so they'll take some publishing money give you some you know advertising money and then you can keep it up there so that's great that's really great for people like me if they, if the publisher doesn't want you to have a song up on YouTube, like for example, with the Kisses on My List Hall and Oates video, the publisher for that does not want that to be played in the U.S. So for that, we, I just got an email from YouTube saying, look, 
you're not in any sort of trouble. You, there's no violation. But uh, because of the publisher, this video will only be available in certain countries. So when people have asked me about that particular video, that's the reason. So now it's coming. All the YouTube videos are coming back to to my channel. That's youtube.com slash Richie Castellano, and all of the episode 100 videos are there. So if you haven't listened to episode 100 or watched it, I suggest you do that before listening to this episode because we're going to talk all about how we put that together, pre-production, post-production, stuff that happened during the show, and I think it's going to be really interesting, and I'm going to do my best to make it entertaining for the non-really technical people and break things down because that's what I do. And uh, let's move on to some other business if you are in the U.S., I just found out, only U.S. and shop on Amazon, please use our Amazon link. That's at riotcast.com slash bandgeek. There's an Amazon banner at the top of the page. If you use Amazon a lot and you want to support us a lot, once you go to that link, I suggest you bookmark that link. So whenever you go to Amazon, you just go right to the link. And then once you do that, anything you add in your cart and check out and purchase, a small percentage of that will be um, taken and given to the show and supporting our show and it doesn't cost you anything extra. You just do your shopping like normal. It's a beautiful thing and it really help. It really does help. You might not think it helps. It helps. And our good friend Rob Crossland, a uh, Bank Geek supporter, thank you Rob for your support. He just informed me that the, the Amazon link doesn't work outside of the U.S. So if you are an international, non-U.S. based Bank Geek listener and you want to help us out, what you could do is just, if you want to just give us a donation, just go to richiecastellano.com slash tip jar. And that brings you to a PayPal form, and you can just donate to the show straight away. And we've gotten quite a few donations, and it's really awesome, and it's helping us, you know, upgrade the studio. It, it the, To be honest, the donations really helped. It Without the donations, we wouldn't have been able to do episode 100 because uh, we had to lay out a lot of money to do that one. So... Thank you guys for that. You guys made episode 100 possible, and you know we're we're very thankful for that. So that's I think that's all the business I had to take care of. Am I missing something? No, that's good. Okay, so episode 100. We saw episode 100 was approaching, and I started getting some ideas together and and bouncing it off the other guys in the band, and we. We thought like, okay, my original concept was to go to a recording studio with, you know, all the gear I would need and just do a live streaming event and invite like 30 people or something just to be in the room with us and make it like a party instead of like a gig. Um, but then Rob Sprantz, the guy, one of the guys who runs Riotcast, the network we're on, he had the idea to make it a live gig in Manhattan at this place called the Village Underground. Now, the reason he chose the Village Underground, there are two reasons. First of all, Village Underground is now owned by the Comedy Cellar, who uh, the Comedy Cellar is affiliated with Riotcast, which is a network that we're on. So it was a good fit, and you know we had an in. I mean, also, playing in New York City is awesome, just on its own. The other reason is that the Village Underground is set up for YouTube streaming and for recording. And that was very appealing to me because when we did episode 50, our live episode in, uh, sorry, on Long Island at Katie's, um, it was fun and it was a great gig, but they had no recording gear. I had to bring everything and I had to sort of jury rig a multi-track recording set up by bringing two six-track Zoom recorders and using every single output the guy had on his Mackie mixer. The guy Brian from Katie's is a sweetheart and he was very gracious to us and, you know, very uh, hospitable <laughs> to to my wacky technical demands. But now going to Village Underground, that wasn't even a concern because they had everything built in already. Beautiful. Done. So, I got in touch with them, and we worked on it. We figured out a date, moved forward. The next step was to pick the set list. And to be honest, I'm very, very proud of the set list that we ended up with. It's, I think it really reflects what we do, and it's, it's just weird. It's just a weird set list, but you know, there's really no filler. It's all good stuff in that set list, so I'm very proud of it. But that was the result of like four or five hours on Skype between me and Jarrett, mostly me and Jarrett, just going back and forth, uh, also with Andy and Amory chiming in, but me and Jarrett really worked that set list hard to get it where it was, and there were more songs in there that we had to cut. Um, 
and you know we had a two hour time period so what I planned was to have an hour and a half of music to have 90 minutes of music and I thought that with you know banter and any sort of technical problems that might happen it would end up being two hours and I was I think the whole thing was like an hour and 55 minutes which is amazing that's you know in the club when you listen if you listen to episode 100 I edited some things out because it was a lot of dead space you know sometimes changing a guitar or tuning something so I edited that out but I think at the actual club on the day of the recording it ended up being an hour 55 which was amazing so the set list um the set list what the the idea was I wanted to really here's the thing when there's a couple things that were going on in my mind the set list was sort of a manifestation of my frustrations with playing pickup gigs. What's a pickup gig? If you don't know, a pickup gig is when you show up and someone calls you and says, oh, I need a guitar player, I need a bass player tonight, and you don't rehearse, and there's just like a standard list of tunes that everybody does. And, you know, like, for example, if you go back to the Band Geek episode called The Band List, B-A-N-N-E-D List, those are the songs you usually do on gigs like that. Uh, but it's just songs, they're standards, everybody knows, but... You know, you do that. You might, if someone says, oh, we do this special, whatever, we do this Eagles song, you have to learn. Okay, fine. You're like, you learn one or two tunes on your own. You go up, you show up to the gig with no rehearsal. You play the gig, and that's it. And it usually sucks. I mean, it doesn't matter. Even if you have the greatest musicians in the world, it, it usually sucks because it's not rehearsed. And, I mean, I do get that from Blue Oyster Cult. So my Blue Oyster Cult gig has nothing to do with this. Because, you know, Blue Oyster Cult, we have arrangements, it's very tight, it's polished, like, that's one thing. And I do get that satisfaction of playing that gig. But, you know, other gigs where I get to play more lead guitar or I get to sing, you know, it's always a drag just showing up and having people not know arrangements. I, and I just got really sick of it. So I, I didn't want to do any of those filler songs. I wanted to do all, like, great tunes that had to be rehearsed um, to the dismay of the people playing with me. But... That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have it be like a show, something worth watching, something worth doing. So that was my goal for that. And also, I wanted to really use our members, our, you know, our, our players wisely. Because, for example, like obviously Anne Marie's the best singer we have with us, but I can't have her sing showstopper after showstopper because she'll blow her voice out. So I had to space her out, and I had to make sure she wasn't really singing two songs in a row. The only two songs she sang in a row were Hold the Line and Starship Trooper. So, so you know, that's the that was the thinking behind that. But also we have Jarrett, and Jarrett's, Jarrett's very talented, but, you know, there are limitations to what he can do. I mean, there are also limitations to what I can do. I mean, a lot of the songs I like to do on Band Geek are at the very top of my range, and I can sing them like two or three times, and then I blow my voice out, which happens like every single week. So, you know, and at the end of the set, you definitely, like during Sledgehammer, you can, if you listen hard enough, you can hear my voice start to, to fail a little bit. But, um, so that's, that was the, that was the part of the thinking behind that. And also, like, I wanted songs that would feature Andy Graziano, uh, which is, you know, pretty much why we did the Maiden thing, because I know Maiden is Andy Graziano's bread and butter. Um, we wanted to feature Hanan, Jason Wexler, and then you know I asked Kasim if he would be interested in doing it, and he said yes, and that was a big thrill. So we picked songs that would sound great for Kasim. Uh, me and Kasim, when we, you know, Kasim, because we we live near each other, Kasim and I, uh, we often carpool to gigs, and we always talk about the band Jellyfish and how much we love them. So it was only natural that we would do a Jellyfish song at the show. So. The next step after we had the set list was to do rehearsals. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to coordinate the schedules of, well, let's see how many musicians we had. We had me, Anne-Marie, Andy, Jarrett, Danny, Hanan, Andy Graziano, Vinny Nascente, Jason Wexler, Kasim Sultan. So we had, am I missing somebody? No, I think that's, oh, Rob Sprantz, but he didn't rehearse. Um, so, 10 musicians. I don't know if you've ever been in a band, but coordinating four musicians is a, tr is, is a chore. 10 musicians was a nightmare. It was unbelievable to try to get people together. But we managed, and what we ended up doing was we had two rehearsals, um, sort of like 
there was, you know, team one and team two. And if you notice in the set, we sort of have two different bands kind of. And that was done intentionally because we were, we had to, we didn't have enough rehearsal time to keep, you know, everybody on stage or keep alternating. And also I didn't want to keep bringing people up and down. I want people to stay up for a few tunes. So what we did is the first rehearsal we had was with me, Danny and Andy, the, uh, me, Dan, me, Danny, Andy, Henry, and Jarrett were there for every rehearsal. So poor Danny had a commute from Long Island to Staten Island for two days in a row, and he was not happy about that. But he was a trooper, so thank you, Danny Miranda. So on the first day, we had Andy Graziano, we had Vin Innocente, and Kasim. They came down for that first rehearsal, and we did all those songs, like the first half of the set. Then this next day, Hanan came down and Hanan Rubenstein and Jason Wexler, and we did those songs. Really, ideally, I would have loved to have done two or three more rehearsals, but like I said, coordinating 10 schedules is a ridiculous task, especially especially for musicians who have things going on all the time. So we, we had two long rehearsals, um, two like maybe four or five hour rehearsals in my studio, and we moved through things ridiculously fast. So... We did that, and that was it. And I was really nervous about the show. And that, let me here's what I'm going to do now, because I'm going to talk about gear for a second, because I have my guitar here. So I really wanted to. My goal when I do certain things, I mean, it was it was cool because I had two really great improvisers with me in as for the other guitar players in in um, Hanan and Andy. Uh, I like to when I'm when I'm doing a gig like this and I'm running it, it's very hard for me to play guitar. I mean, I can play, when I play guitar in a Blue Oyster Cult gig, I'm freed up because, you know, Eric is doing the MC thing. There, you know, I don't have to worry about doing sound at the same time. We have a crew. So all I have to focus on is playing. But when when I'm doing a gig and I'm the band leader and I'm running it, I have a very hard time playing. It's just, it's too many distractions. So I focused on getting sounds and parts. And I saw, I sort of like, had an idea what I wanted to play going in. But so what I'm going to do now is go through the set list and talk about the, the the sounds I used and maybe some of the challenges for those songs. I think that might be interesting. So the first song we did was We Built This City. So for, for this gig, I ended up using the Line 6 Helix and I had two guitars. I had my Green Axis Music Man that I use for almost every gig and I had my new... Line 6 Variax, which I loved. So here's my uh, We Built This City patch. Um, and the reason we did We Built This City is because it, one of those hipster magazines voted it the worst song of all time, which is complete bullshit. I mean, it's not. It's, that's a good song. I'm sorry. I, I love that song. That's a hit song. There's, it, if you want to, there's plenty of worse songs than that. And I think that was just a really snarky and unfair assessment of that. So we opened up with that. And also we love it. And it was sort of not too difficult for Jarrett to sing. So here is uh, here's the sound I have. So that's the basic sound, and that's uh, me with the Variax. And I just put new pickups in the Variax. I have DiMarzio pickups. So that's that sound. I also have the um, solo tune, solo sound here. Check this out. that's not 80s i don't know what it is so we had that tune and um anything else interesting oh yeah we me and vin innocente he used his keyboard and the house keyboard and like right up to when we had to start he and i were scrambling on their house keyboard to try to find like a big enough 80s like synth sound to to get that to sound right so that was pretty funny uh then the next song we were going to do is we were going to do Turn It On by Genesis. Uh, here's my Turn It On sound. <laughs> um, and I was so excited about doing that, and I was going to sing it, but it just it, it just didn't work in our set list. I mean, maybe we'll do that another time on Band Geek. And I was really bummed. You know, I thought it was great, but the rest of the the guys told me they said, you know what, the song doesn't sound bad. It's just that it's not. It's sort of just 
sits there. So we ended up cutting that. So there's a little behind the scenes for you. That was going to happen. We rehearsed it. We got through it. I thought it sounded great, but we, we didn't do it. Um, so the next song we did was really, really difficult, and that's Killer Queen. That's a song I've never... I think I've, I've done it live once, but with a track. You know, I, had a, I pre-recorded all the background vocals. At the Band Geek Live show, no background, no track. That was all us. I mean, and it was really difficult. Everybody did a really good job. Um, here's my Killer Queen sound. Now, this one... Let's see here. Okay. Then I have this thing. So that's all me. I'm just doing all the harmonies by myself. So that almost made it like we had three guitar players because I was able to do the harmonies and Andy Graziano, the other guitar player, and that was able to do some other parts under that. So that really filled things out. And you know, Vin did a great job on the piano there. And this was this was a tough song for Anne-Marie to sing because it's so low. Because this is not one of the higher Freddie tunes. That's um, th this is like you know the, in the, the the guy register there. Even though the song is called Killer Queen. But um, yeah, so that's that. And this is cool because this I'm using my my Variax and I used the Variax to get the Brian May guitar sound. <laughs> So there's that. Then, what's the next song we did after Killer Queen? Um, oh, then we did You May Be Right with Rob Sprantz, and that was a lot of fun. But that's pretty straightforward. That, you know, for that, I just used, I think. Oh, here's. That's got it. And after that, we did. Oh, Mandy. Oh, my God. So, Mandy. The reason we did Mandy is that's a song we did on our Encore episode, which, by the way, I I thought the Encore episodes were sort of weak, and you guys loved them. I mean, I was I was like, I, you know what? Weak is the wrong word. I couldn't tell if people liked it. I thought like everyone was like, eh, this is some stupid thing they're doing. But I guess everything we do, we do is stupid. <laughs> um, so I think we're going to be bringing back Encore soon. But this was a song that Vin and Vin Innocente and Jarrett did on Encore, and they just did such a great job that we brought it back. I Jarrett fought me on this one. I did not want to put this in the set, but he put it in the set. And there was this really awesome guitar solo in, in, in this. Uh, uh, uh. I think I did some later. Uh. Shit, I don't remember it. There's... Ah, got it. There was some like meadly meadly lick going up to that. Um, but we did this like really heavy version of Mandy with, you know, big drums and big guitars. It was it was a lot of fun and it ended up being good. Then we did Number of the Beast, which is um a, I love Iron Maiden. Um I was gonna learn the whole thing, but Andy Graziano's like an Iron Maiden aficionado. He knows everything. So I just basically said, hey, why don't I hang back and you take all the, the lead stuff, which, you know, really took some pressure off me. But I thought he did a great job. But here's here's my uh, my Maiden sound. So that nice little flanger action. Then after that, we did joining a fan club with Kasim. Oh man, that was a lot of fun. We we lowered the key a little bit because he and I were having trouble singing it, to be honest. But we lowered the key, and that was another ridiculously hard song that we rehearsed a lot at at our one rehearsal. And yeah, it 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 was just crazy. You know, Andy Graziano never heard it before, so for him it was really crazy. The rest of us were familiar with the song, but. A lot of fun, and I got to give props to Jarrett, who's not, and as, if you listen to the show, you know Jarrett's not a professional singer or professional musician, but he really stepped up and learned his harmonies. What I did was, you know, I should have said this before, what I did was I made 
Because we didn't have a lot of rehearsal time, I did this sort of like virtual MD thing. I made a Google Drive folder of me going through every single song, um, a video. And I, I put a videos in the Google Drive folder of me going through every single song, you know, discussing the parts, saying, okay, you play this, I'll play this. Can you get this sound? Can we do this this many times? And I did that for every song, I sent it to everybody. So, and, and, and everybody watched that. So when they came to rehearsal, they knew what was going on. So maybe that's an idea you guys can use with your bands if you don't have a lot of rehearsal time. Like if you have a limited rehearsal time and you don't want to waste time, you know, saying, oh, now I have to assign harmony parts. You know, okay, you sing this, you sing that. Because that, that takes a lot of time at rehearsal. So what I what I did to sort of alleviate that was, you know, I, I would basically like play the song on this video and stop it and say, okay, you guys hear those oohs there? Okay, you know, Anne-Marie, I would like you to go, you know, ooh. And um, then Jared, I would like you to go, ooh. And then Jason, you go, ooh. And, you know, then, okay, then Andy, can you grab this guitar part? That's how I would do it. I went one step further, though, with some of the more densely harmonized tunes, like the Queen stuff. What I did was I had Pro Tools open, and I would actually multi-track record the harmonies to show people what they, they were supposed to sound like all together. I'm, I'm a little nutty, but whatever. So joining a fan club, uh, got some cool sounds for that. And another interesting thing, the th out of the three guitars, Andy and Andy and Hanan used the backline amps. I think it was a Vox and a Carvin. And they used those, and they sounded fine. I went a little riskier. I used the Helix Direct, and I had a little, you know, the uh, Line 6 monitor on stage just so I can hear it. So that was a little crazy. I also had my in-ears. I, I had one in-ear in. I had that, like, Audio-Technica and Audio-Technica Wireless and the Shure personal mixer where I can send splits to the PA. Uh, what that means is I plugged my guitar and my vocal into this little mixer and it, and it went out to my ear so I could hear that, and, but it also split out from my little mixer and went straight to the PA system so they got unaffected, you know, clean versions of my guitar and my vocal where whenever I would change the volume, it wouldn't affect them. So that's that's how that works. Sorry, gotta get water. Solo show, you got you do a lot of talking. So, so for for me, the challenge was making sure that the sounds translated over the PA, and I think for the most part they did. Uh, when I got the the files back, I ended up taking a little top end. That my sounds might have been a little too bright on the stream. Another thing is while we were doing the stream, now I want to talk about that. A lot of you people watched you people. A lot of a lot of our band geek followers watched the stream, and the stream. I watched it afterwards, and I took it down immediately because the stream was really wacky. And it's easy to point fingers here, but I'm not going to. The guy they had working at the Village Underground, the guy Sam, did a tremendous job because he was the entire production crew by himself. He when we got to the gig. He set up the entire set up and mic'd and wired the entire stage. I think he had one guy helping him, right? He did the I think the guy's name was Regu. So it was Sam and Regu. And they did the whole stage by themselves. Then Sam was mixing the show in the room. He had to look at he had to mix the live stream, which he couldn't hear. And he had to do the cameras. He was operating the cameras also remotely. So this guy Sam I got to give him props. He was doing everything by himself. And, you know, I know what that feels like. So that, you know, that's why I know everybody was complaining about the, the mix the night of. I get it, though. He had his hands full. In hindsight, and, and what I think, if you're, if you're a club or somebody who's doing live band streaming and you don't have, like, a separate room where you can mix this and you're not listening to the live stream actively, I think it's just best to put up a microphone in the room and say, okay, here's what the room sounds like, and this is going out to YouTube. And in fact, I think the next time we do Encore on BandGeek, I think we're going to do it that way. I think I'm just going to put a mic in the room. It'll sound more live, and this way I don't have to sit there worrying about the mix the whole time. It's like what it sounds like in the room is what it's going to sound like to the, the the audience, so the online audience. So that's that's the best way to do it. But unfortunately... 
that he wasn't able to do it. That's not how they're set up. They don't have a mic set up to do that. So it was he had his hands full. So I'd say cut him a little slack. I know we were getting some mixed comments and and a few people even apologized to me for them. There's no need to apologize. You should want to have a good mix. That's fine. Uh, it's just you know the situation was there was one guy doing the work of four people, which is what it really was. So anyway. On the live stream, you know, I thought the guitar translated pretty well. It was a little bright, so I ended up taking some top end off when I did the mix. But I'll get into that a little later. So check this out. Here's um, some of my joining a fan club sound. So we have... Check this out. This is cool. You know that, in, if you're familiar with the song, there's that, like, you know... Is that like whirly modulated guitar in the background? So that's my uh, univibe on here. And then I have this sound. That's the sound that happens once in the song, but I'm stupid enough to make it. And then we have... Um, for that, I wanted the octave, so I put the octave on my expression pedal. Check this out. I think that sounds pretty awesome. So that was Fan Club. The next thing we did was Set Me Free. So I think I use... Um, uh, So regular clean sound for that. And then, okay, if you watch the live stream, I don't know if I should even mention this, but I'm going to because whatever, it doesn't make a difference. If you watch the live stream, you, you saw us do Lady Madonna. That one wasn't really salvageable. There was a few technical issues with that, and, and it just didn't work out. So we ended up cutting that from the broadcast. But it was a shame because it sounded really awesome at rehearsal. But you know what? That gives us another tune we can do if Cass never comes back on. So, I did make a sound for, for Lady Madonna, and I was very proud of this sound, because it's awful. There's my Lady Madonna sound. Woo! That is ugly. Uh, then we did Jane, which I just used my regular stuff for, I think. Yeah, I think of Jane, I just went on. Yeah. So, that's easy enough. Then after that, we did... Oh, he did Reminiscing, which is a song I love, and I was really looking forward to hearing Hanan play a solo on that because that's like that sort of like jazzy rock thing. He's so good at that. Um, the thing about the version we did of Reminiscing is there's a live version that I really like, and if you listen to it, you'll hear I ripped, I ripped off the whole thing. There's like this live version that they do with this Australian singer, um, Who's a, I can't remember his name, but he's amazing. And there's all these guitar harmonies in it. So I actually learned those and programmed them in. Um, uh, there's one. And for this tune, I needed actually four presets to go from the um, the all the harmonies to go in between them. Another one. Um, I forgot it. Yeah. And then I have um. Oh, then it goes back to. So oh, why am I have Italian? There you go. So I have all those harmonies there programmed so i i covered all those parts then after that we did oh call me al oh man that was fun call me al's a tune that i i mentioned this on the show that i used to watch my dad's band do and i, I love that song 
for Call Me Out, I was listening to it thinking like, okay, what am I going to play? What's Hanan going to play? And I only heard the, the I only really heard that uh, one guitar part, which was the... Um, you know... I only really heard that one guitar part on it, so I said, okay, what am I going to do? But I also heard that there's all this other bass stuff on there. So, you know, I, I ended up playing bass on it, and me and Danny both played bass. I, I played all the high stuff. Let's see if I can find my sound for that. Here we go. This might not sound great on the guitar. But... Oh, actually, down, down the right octave. Uh. And the cool thing about this is I made a, a, a little effect here for that I'm doing it on guitar right now, it's supposed to be on the bass, but here's that effect, it's reverse delay. So I thought that was really cool. Then after that, we uh, kept it 80s, and we did How Will I Know. So check out this. This sounds pretty cool. Perfect 80s. I also got to give a shout-out to Jason Wexler here, who used his keyboard in ways I didn't think possible. He had his keyboard split. He was doing, he was, he brought that one keyboard and he would split the keyboard in half with two different sounds and he nailed every single sound. Um, and that's not to, not to take away from Vin, because uh, Vin also did a phenomenal job with getting, getting sounds. But um, Jason, just showing Jason, just seeing what Jason was able to do with his keyboard in terms of, you know, really understanding his gear, you know, I, that's sort of what I try to do with my gear is I try to, you know, really, really know the ins and outs of it, so I could get the best, the best possible sounds or the closest sounds, especially for cover tunes. So, I really liked, I really, really liked how well I know. I loved that we had a kazoo solo. I've been getting some negative feedback on the kazoo stuff, um, which I guess is fair. But I, you know, that's kind of our thing. We like the, we like the kazoo. We didn't have any room up there for a saxophone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, cut Jared some slack, people. But I thought he did a great job on that song. And, of course, Anne-Marie just completely slayed that song. And also, another thing on that tune, Danny used this synth bass pedal, which was perfect. It just sounded, it was great. So, um, amazing, amazing. I'm, I know I'm singing everybody's praises here, and it's like a butt-kissing show, but whatever, it's my show. Um, then, after that, we did... What the hell did we do after that? Well, maybe that's when we did... Am I missing a song here? I'm gonna, I got to look at the... Uh, do I really have to go to YouTube to figure out what we did? Yeah, I'm doing that. Hold on. Yeah, Call Me Al. Oh, we did Reminiscing How Will I Know Call Me Al. Okay. Got it. So I did it out of order. Okay. Then we did All By Myself, um, which is a song that I just really like hearing Anne-Marie sing. And that one was actually very complicated in terms of presets and switching and all that stuff. So I'm gonna show you my sounds that I use during All By Myself. So here's the Variax doing an acoustic thing. Then we go to this clean. Have the cheese. And another cool thing I heard on this is on the record, this song modulates down to C sharp. But there's like a really tuned down guitar. Well, with the Variax and the Helix, no problem. 
I'll lower my volume so you can hear what's actually happening. So, hear that? That's my E string. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna raise the volume. That's the note that it's actually playing. So at the end of that song, my whole guitar is tuned down a third just to get those really heavy notes. Then we did Just the Two of Us, which is... I didn't do much playing on that. That was all Hanan and Jason, and I just focused on singing. Also, another thing, Andrew threw me under the bus on that one. I was not expecting to do those impersonations. Uh, We actually discussed it ahead of time, and I said, no, I don't want to do them. And then she threw me under the bus on stage. Uh, But I think, all things considered, I think it came out okay. But, you know, I'm... If you watch the video, I'm genuinely surprised and a little annoyed that I had to do them. But, you know, it's all in good fun. We try to have fun with what we do here. So so that worked. And, yeah, I thought I thought Hanan and Jason just killed it. After that, we did Hold the Line, which is, this, you know, another really popular uh, request and a popular video that we did. So here are my Hold the Line sounds. <laughs> Got a lot of comments on YouTube and Facebook about the guitar sound on this, and I really appreciate that, guys. I, I, I'm a big Steve Lukather fan, and I uh, tried to get as close as I could. And then for the lead, we have... At the end of that, there is a little harmony bit, so I just had that set to one pedal, and I go. So that's awesome. (laughs) All right, and after that, we had, ooh, Starship Trooper. Starship Trooper, I actually played bass on, and the... um, the bass sounded really awful in the club. The bass amp was broken. So all the effects you're hearing on Starship Trooper I put on in the mix phase. That like We didn't have a tremolo on the bass or anything like that going into the amp. Um, and actually, my I brought my Rickenbacker bass for that, and it sounded awful. But I managed to salvage it for the, for the, the, the video mix. Um, Starship Trooper was actually a lot of fun because at the end of it, there's this big worm jam, and it's usually just a guitar solo. But what we did is we let everybody in the band blow over it. And that was one of my I, – I, I was when I was thinking of the idea, because even though, like I said earlier, I didn't want it to be like a loose, jammy thing with like, like when I do pickup gigs. I wanted it to be a tight, rehearsed thing. I said it's, it kind of sucks that we're not really jamming that much. Like we don't have like a just a long vamp that we can just go nuts on. So I said this will be like our, our hippy-dippy freak-out jam thing and we'll just – keep going around and I was a little worried that that was going to be you know boring but the guys played such beautiful stuff over it and, it, and Andy and Danny were just killing it on in, in the rhythm section that it didn't feel it just felt more and more and more exciting and just kept building and building and I, that was a real high point of that especially another thing is that um, like for me and Andy and Andy the playing prog rock is something we just have been doing. But to hear like guys like Jason and Vinny and Hanan do their own thing on a prog rock song that I loved on a Yes song, that was amazing. It's just, you know, because when, when are you going to hear a guy like Hanan Rubinstein play a, a ridiculous solo on a Yes song? You, you might never get to hear that, you know, because that's not what he does. But he, here he was doing it and it was beautiful. It was just amazing. So that was a real treat for me. And just how An- how Andy on the drums and Danny just kept elevating it and just it just brought it to a whole new level. It was it was amazing and I got a lot of great comments on that. That was that was just cool. Um yeah, and I switched uh I played the beginning on bass because I knew Danny had his hands full with the rest of the set and I already knew it. So I and also there was nothing for me to do on guitar. So I played the first half of that song on bass and during the vocal break in the middle, I passed the bass off to Danny and that worked out really well. That was that was pretty easy. Um, something else. Was there something else I wanted to say about this. 
No. Um, okay, so then the next the next song or the the oh yeah, there was something I wanted to say, now I remember. So like around around the time of like say all by myself, Jarrett went to me. He's like, dude, we've only been playing for an hour. <laughs> you know, we we gotta stretch, we gotta stretch. And I told him, like, don't worry about it, man. <laughs> don't worry about it. Because I knew it was coming. I knew that Starship Trooper was going to be long, and I knew that Sledgehammer was going to be long. So, and like I said, er- like I said earlier in the podcast, the whole the whole thing ended up being two hours exactly. So that was perfect. So the last song, which was sort of our encore, but we just launched right into it. We did Sledgehammer, and we did it down a half step just to save my voice, which didn't help much because by the end of the set, my voice was toasted anyway, um, and you could hear it. If you listen, you know, uh, when I go to the, yeah, 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 it just ended up coming out like, yeah. <laughs> but Sledgehammer is a song that I usually can't stand when people do, and I can't stand doing it just because it never sounds right. But, you know, after getting to rehearse it and hearing all the parts there and hearing Anne-Marie and Jarrett just, you know, nail the background vocals and, and and having the two guys, one guy on the synth, one guy on the horns on the in the keyboard section, and the, and the two guitar players just crushing it, it was great. And we did this awesome like, you know, uh, trading fours thing at the end with me, Andy, and Hanan. And what I really like about that part is that it's not wanky, and it it would be wanky if it was basically you know, um, three guys doing you know. Um, <laughs> just playing like you know the same thing the same sort of stock thing but everybody like the three of us all did very different things and it made it really interesting i watching that i wish we went on for like another you know five minutes to adjust that because to hear like how hanan would respond to what i would do and then andy graziano would play something totally different but totally amazing it was just it was really fun to be there and and you know, like when you're there playing you can't really you're worrying about a lot of things especially like what i said before how i have a hard time actually performing on these gigs where i'm thinking about a million things but watching it while i was mixing it it was such a treat just to hear everybody and then having my dad come up and i sort of threw him into the fire and he was a good sport and he was great too so that was the whole gig so i was pretty happy with it I gave them a hard drive, the the Village Underground, and they started transferring it and told me it was going to take like six hours to transfer. So I dropped off the drive and I came back another day and I got the drive. So I had a bunch of BOC things to do and and other things, so I couldn't really check the drive right away. So when I finally got home and I had time to, to, to work on it, I tried to open the video files and there, he gave me 600 gigabytes of video files. Let me say that again. 600, and there were only three shots. 600 gigabytes. Normally, like a two-hour video, I don't know, like 20 gigabytes maybe for the, for the compression I use. So I had to get... Like I think what I ended up using, the solution I ended up using for that. Also, um, my video editor, Sony Vegas, that I use, would not open these files for anything. It was just, it was just like, nope. So I had to convert them. I used that free software called Handbrake, which I can't recommend enough. Uh, actually, I called up a uh, former band geek guest, Corey Machado, in a panic, saying, "Dude, I got to open these files. I can't see them. I can't open them." And he said, "Get Handbrake and convert them to this." And I converted them to MP4s with constant bit rate. And that did it, and then it opened. And the files look great. So the video was fine, but it took like about eight hours to convert each file. So basically, where I, when I wanted to get started working on this, I couldn't. So this is the time of the podcast where I make excuses for not having <laughs> not having the thing up sooner. Uh, so I yeah, it took eight hours to convert each video. So basically, I would start them, and just my computer couldn't do anything else. It was babysitting for for eight hours at a time so we we got those videos converted then i started importing the audio into pro tools now my hope for this was to really not all right let me back up a second while i was there because i'm a paranoid person at the back of the club i put a stereo zoom recorder just a room mic 
just in the back of the club near, near the sound console. And I put a GoPro just in case, just because I'm, you know, paranoid. And I don't trust anybody. I did that. And I have to thank Hanan. Hanan actually, while we were doing We Built the City, he actually set the gains on my, uh, on my Zoom recording, did me a huge solid. And actually, he, whether he knows it or not, he saved the day. And here's why. I was my strategy was to get it back and to make this sound just close to like what we usually do here in the Bankeek studio, which is everything close mic'd or direct, you know, like we use the direct sounds for everything and make it sound as polished and pro as possible. When I got the tracks back, there was no kick and snare. Um, instead, it was like the entire mix was on those two channels. So no kick and snare. The rack tom one of the rack tom mics was completely distorted and unusable the floor tom mic had like no sound on it the, the floor tom sounded like a basketball Anne marie's vocal was completely distorted completely i mean just totally in the red the bass completely distorted and the tracks in general just like the, the levels weren't set correctly now not pointing blame this is not a blame thing. I understand that there were a lot of things going on that e- that evening, and it was too much for one guy to do. So I was bummed, but I'm not. This is not about assigning blame. This is just what I'm explaining right now. Is this is what I was given? You know what I mean? These are the tracks. This is what I was looking at, and I I just looked at it and I thought, "Fuck," <laughs> you know. It's just like there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. We're I'm screwed. I'm so screwed. So what I ended up doing is I spoke to Rob Sprantz about it. And he said, can you do a Matrix mix? And I'm like, what's a Matrix mix? He goes, well, it's an old bootlegging term. It's when you take different recordings from like one concert and you try to like sync them up and put them together. So I did that. Um, And this is the really technical part of the episode because this... This was a real engineering challenge for me. So when you're listening to those files, I'd say 75% of what you're hearing is that Zoom recorder in the back of the room. Now, there were you gotta understand something. There was there were the only usable drum mics I had was actually one. It was a hi-hat mic. That was the only tra- the only usable track I had. And maybe that floor tom mic. Everything else was either distorted or or not there. So I had no drums. So the cymbals and I'd say most of the drums you're hearing on those recordings are coming from the Zoom recorder. So that was that. But here's the other problem. Um, the, the engineer on site was not familiar with our song. So there are parts where a person singing lead is not really hot in the PA system or you know a person playing a solo you can't hear them or a keyboard part is like way too loud so what i had to end up doing was i would use that zoom that zoom recorder is my foundation and then i would use the tracks i i sync them up and there's another problem recorders if you use different types of recorders they they aren't even though they're all digital and they're supposed to be synced they're not really over time, especially over the course of two hours, they will lose sync. So I had to keep going back and checking sync between the Zoom and the multitracks. So that was a real challenge. But what I ended up doing was I would play the Zoom. It, this, is how I, this is how I started. And then it morphed into something very different. But when I started, and you can hear, you should, this is not intentional, um, but you'll hear a difference between... Um, we built the city in Sledgehammer. Uh, sle- we built the city is much more roomy sounding, and Sledgehammer is much tighter sounding. And there's a reason, and the reason is I mixed the whole set in order, and I got better at it as I went on. I, I developed more techniques, and I even had to go back and fix things. But I'm going to take you through the whole process right now. So I brought that Zoom recorder up, and basically my vocal and Anne-Marie's vocal were really loud, and Jared's vocal, who was singing the lead, was not very loud. So first thing I did was I boosted Jared's individual track up. So now he was where he needed to be. So that's the combination. The other problem is there was no low end. So what I had to do was I had to take the, I took that hi-hat mic. I filtered out all the high end 
until it was just woof. And then I processed that to bring low end back. Now, I really needed the bass track and I really needed Anne Marie's vocal track. So what I use for that is there's a great, great software suite that if you're an engineer, if you do mixes and you do stuff like this, you should absolutely 100% buy this. It's called RX by Isotope. I believe they're up to RX4 or 5. I can't be sure, but you need this. If you're an engineer and you have a studio, you need this. What this does is it comes with like five or six plugins, and what they do is there's one that will undistort something. It's called a declipper. So I ran Anne-Marie's vocal and the bass through the declipper. Now, they were so badly distorted that it did fix it. It fixed it a lot, but there are artifacts. And that means they're, it, the tracks are a little garbly sounding or like sort of like there's like a chorusing on them, like a sort of sound to them. So that's the side effect, but it's better than having the whole thing sound like, you know what I mean? Which is what it sounded like, just complete distortion. So Isotope RX saved those files, right? Also, there was a part in Mandy where the cable on Jared's microphone died and started going like, like crackling. Well, there's a decrackling plugin that I put on that until the mic died. So that saved that. Um, the bass. The, the, the amp was like, there were ground problems all over that room. I ended up using the RX denoiser, and that got rid of the hum. So I used that Isotope R. I used the shit out of that plug-in bundle. You don't even, I was using that like crazy. It, it was ridiculous because I had, I repaired these tracks. So to get back to now the um, mix restoration, to get low end, to get kick, because I had no kick. So I filtered out everything out of that hi-hat. And just to get the woof, and then the kick sort of came back. It wasn't a defined kick drum. You weren't getting like the snap, like the, but you get the, that sort of sound. And that, that in combination with the zoom recorder in the room, that made the kick, it made it sound like it was there. So I was using that. The only problem is whenever Andy stepped on the hi hat pedal really hard, it would be like a false kick trigger. But you had that's something you just have to deal with. So. As I continued mixing, I started... Oh, and here's the other challenge. If I have a direct sound of Jared's voice, say we built the city, if I have a direct feed right from Jared's microphone and then a room mic, that's not going to match. So what I had to do is I had to find like a room reverb that was sort of could approximate what was happening in the room. It's very difficult to do. But I did that, and then I ran Jared through that, and that sort of made everything sound a little more even and consistent. Um, but as I went forward with the mixes, I started bringing, like when I started, like on We Built the City, it was like 90% zoom and 10% direct tracks. And that ratio kept shifting. So by the time I was done, it was like 50-50. You were hearing 50% of the zoom because I, I found ways to clean up things and to get them back and to match things. And the, Now, I'm not saying the earlier mixes in the set, like the We Built the City and Killer Queen sound bad. They just sound more live. You know what I mean? They sound more roomy. I just found a way to get them to sound more in your face. And a technique I did that I'm really proud of is, here's what happened. Uh, most of the time, Andy is sort of like playing hard rock stuff. Until we got, like, or even for like the um, the more R&B oriented stuff, like the reminiscing and, and just the two of us, he's still playing at a decent volume. When we got to Starship Trooper, the drums were gone because he's he's basically playing like a jazz drummer. Like Bill Bruford played that song like a jazz drummer and the drums were just gone. So I actually, I was didn't realize it until I was moving on to the video and I was editing the video and I'm like, I can't hear the drums at all. So what I ended up doing was I brought in the floor tom track to the video editor. I brought it into the video editor and I started filtering it and, and EQing it and, and, um, and compressing it. And now the floor tom track just sounded like this, and there was nothing else. But what I did was I filtered out all the low end, and I compressed the shit out of this thing. And all of a sudden, you know what I heard? I heard snare drum. I heard a lot of snare drum. And the snare drum sounded good. And I heard ride cymbal. And I heard crashes. And they all came back. So I kept duplicating this and filtering it in different ways. And, and then all of a sudden, I had a snare drum track. I had a ride track. I had crashes. So I did that in the video editor for Starship Trooper. Then after that, I mixed Sledgehammer. 
And I said, oh my God, wouldn't it be great if I could have that like snappy gated snare in this song? So I really worked on it and I had all these duplicated floor tom tracks where I would make them sound like different things. And the snare drum actually sounded great in that track. Only problem is when he would hit the floor tom, the whole track would blow up because the microphone was near the floor tom, but I'm trying to mic the snare drum through it. So, you know, this as, as long as he's not playing that floor, it sounds great. So what I had to end up doing was actually going to every single floor tom hit and automating it and even automating the like turning eqs off turning all my filters off just to bring that floor tom back it was very very tedious it was a pain in the ass but i said okay i'll just do it for sledgehammer so i mixed sledgehammer i show it to the guys and i go oh man this sounds just so much better than everything else so after that i was done this was on the saturday before we like two days before we released it I was done. And I listened to Sledgehammer and I realized, shit, I have to redo all of them. I have to go back and do this snare. So what, it wasn't too bad. What I ended up doing was I went, I saved all the, sa- the mix sessions separately. So I went back to each mix session and I imported that track with all the process all the, or the, the multiple tracks, all the processing I did. The only thing that was a drag is I had to automate the toms down. Every time he would hit the tom, I had to automate that out. But it really got me the result. And you got to understand, songs like Reminiscing and Just the Two of Us sounded really hokey without that snappy snare drum. Once I put it in, the whole thing just locked into place. So that's what I did for that. And that was, it made a huge difference to me. It made me feel a lot better about the whole end result. And, and I hope you guys liked it and, and can appreciate what, what went into it, you know, because I basically had to do some crazy techniques to get that to work. And, you know, it's, I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of everybody, and I'm grateful to everybody who was involved uh, performing and grateful to the people who showed up to the gig and watched online and to all the comments. I can't thank you guys enough. This was a great event. I don't think I'll want to do another one of these anytime soon. Uh, me and Jarrett already have a uh, a joke going for episode 200. Instead of doing a big show, let's just have a cake or something. <laughs> so... It was it was a big task, but you know I think it was worth doing. I think it was a lot of fun, and I'm just really enjoying watching the videos. Uh, another thing we did, I think this was yeah after the gig, is we took our new band geek photo, and I want to talk about that really quickly. Um, I got to thank Tony Hansen for doing that. My the, my idea was when the movie Suicide Squad came out, they had um the like this big lineup of the whole Suicide Squad and like a like a prison or something like that. And um, I wanted to do that with us, with different characters. Um, but we ended up doing like a slight variation on that. But that was what I was going for. So I got to thank Tony Hansen and Phoenix Studios for doing that photo for us. I'm really happy with that. If you haven't seen the photo, go to any go any go to riotcast.com or go to my social media it's on, or on Jared's social media. That's everywhere. It's And that's um, I'm Richie Castellano on Facebook. Uh, we have Richie Castellano Band Geek. I have Rich underscore Castellano on, on Twitter. I'm Richie Castellano at Instagram. So follow all that stuff. It, I, I love the picture. And Jarrett on his Instagram, uh, I think he's more kazoo on Instagram. He just posted all these behind the scenes photos from the shoot that are really funny. You got to see those. Um, yeah, so that that was also something that took a lot of time. So while, because I had to, that photograph is not a group photograph it's actually we took those individually and then i had to photoshop them together so while i was working on basically while i had these video files rendering in my studio downstairs i was upstairs on my laptop editing the photo so i was just it was, it was like a manic january was fucking crazy for me it was just nuts i was just i just went i was just on go mode so that's <laughs> that's my story with all that stuff and i hope you guys appreciate it and uh, look forward to some interesting things coming up in this uh, next batch of episodes. I got some cool things planned. And I want to do a quick plug. Um, I know we have a, little, a few geeks uh, listening to the podcast. If you're going to Star Wars Celebration in April, that's April 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th in Orlando, Florida at the Orange County Convention Center, I will be there as a just as a visitor, just someone just attending. Um, I'm thinking about entering the Band Geek podcast in their 
uh, podcast stage. I don't know what we would do yet. I'm still getting that together. And I'm if you're a lightsaber enthusiast like me, I, I, you guys know I like to build my own lightsabers and me and my friends beat each other up with them. I'm working on planning a lightsaber event on the Thursday night of the convention. So if you'd be interested in that, contact me and I'll send you our Kickstarter info. It's like all you have to do is pre-order a $20 ticket. Um, it's a quick, it's a quick Kickstarter run. I think I have, I think it's over February. What is that? I think it's over on February 18th or something or 16th. But if you want to come to this event, you know, if you're going to be in Orlando on April 13th, please buy a ticket now because I'm trying to secure venues and guests and all this stuff. And I, and I got to move forward with this. So if you're interested in that, please support the uh, Kickstarter campaign so I can make it happen. If not, well, I'll just go there as a visitor and, and, or an attendee and have a good time. But that's it. Wow, an hour went by. Damn. I had a lot of fun doing this and talking to you guys. I hope you liked it. I'm almost out of voice. So uh, I will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks.